0: We believe in uh, the value of uh, good books. And I just want to commend uh, two books to you. Uh, our book of the month last month uh, was Prayer and the Voice of God as we think about uh, our motto verse for the year: Pray in the Spirit. And uh, this is a great and helpful book. And uh, I, there's still copies uh, left from last month. So if you've not got one and you feel that your prayer life sometimes is lacking, this will be a very encouraging book to get hold of this morning. And our book of the month for uh, the book of February is a new book by John Lennox, Gunning for God, Why the New Atheists Are Missing the Target. And uh, that's available at the uh, bargain price of £9. And uh, John actually is here in Edinburgh this weekend. I believe he was speaking at Destiny Church uh, yesterday. And he'll be doing a lecture at Heriot-Watt University tomorrow evening. And I think they've got their biggest um, uh, lecture hall, and there may still be spaces there if you're interested in hearing John address that very topic. Well, please open your Bibles to James chapter 1, and you'll find that on page 1,213, 1,213 in the church Bibles. Going to begin reading here in verse twelve of James chapter one. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, who made the sun and billions of star-filled galaxies, we thank you that you do not change. And we ask that you'd impart to us your good and perfect gifts through your word of truth. We ask for your wisdom and your spirit to empower us to resist our sinful nature and to trust the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in his mighty name we ask it. Amen. Well, James is a very wise pastor. And he cared for his Christian church that uh, probably believers scattered out from Jerusalem because of Persecution, and it could well be that this letter is a sort of a summary of sermons that his scattered flock might have missed since being dispersed all over the place. And he's gathered together his sermon notes and written this letter to encourage them in their difficult circumstances. He's encouraging them to persevere in their tough times. And he writes with a tender heart, uh, with loving concern. Did you notice that repeated address? Uh, Look at verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Now, I think he's saying that as a summary of all that's gone before. And that's why I've included the uh, beginning of verse 19. I think the NIV hasn't really helped us with this by putting that big heading in there. I think verse 19, when he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Is his sort of summary endpoint of verses 16 to 18? He's basically got two main points in this section. Uh, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, you become part of God's family, and that's why he talks of them as brothers. And uh, it's a family where we lovingly care for each other. And he, there is something that he wants to warn them about. There's something that he wants them not to be deceived about. And then there's something that he wants them to understand. There's something he wants them to know. He wants to encourage them. Something that they should always remember. And there are two, therefore, vital things that we need to know as Christians going through trials and difficulties. The complete Christian, you see, is one who understands temptation. Last week, we we began to think about the place of trials and hardships in the life of the Christian. Now, let me tell you something that you could find out by reading any commentary on the book of James. Any commentary on the book of James will tell you what I'm about to tell you, and that is that in the original language of Greek, the same word that's translated in verses 2 and 12 as trials, that same word can also be translated as temptations. And so verse thirteen really is continuing uh, James's thought. In our difficulties, in our hardships. There are very there's sort of two different dynamic processes that can happen. Uh, the first is summarized in verse twelve. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God promised to those who love him. And here is God's intention for our trials. That we withstand the test through steadfast faith in Jesus and receive the crown of life. This is God's intention for us in our, in our hardships and difficulties. That we will um, stay the course. That our faith will grow in, in maturing single-minded steadfastness and that we will um, hang on to Jesus until the end and we will receive uh, the gift of eternal life that He won for us in His death upon the cross. That's what God intends through the hardships and difficulties of uh, of our life. But of course, that's not the only thing that can happen. James wants us to be prepared for the fact that another process can also happen in life struggles. And that is that we can face great temptations. Look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In those very same trials, we can also be tempted... To sin. Two processes that can happen in tough times. One, verse 12, trials and testing that leads to life. And verse 15, desire and sin that leads to death. And, and these are the serious issues that face all Christians in the struggles and difficulties of our life. These two things are, are going on. And James is a wise and he's a loving pastor and he writes to teach them and to warn them of this reality. And if we're going to be Christians who persevere, who patiently trust Jesus to the ups and downs of life, then we need to be those who really understand temptation. We need to have a deep and intimate understanding of the whole process of what's going on in temptation because it's going to keep coming at us in this life. And the very nature of temptation is it is deceptive. And if we're going to be those who steadfastly press on to to receive the crown of life, then we need to wise up to the spiritual realities that are going on. Now, if you're a young Christian here, it is so important that you understand the process of temptation. You see what's really going on with it. And and you older Christians uh, who've withstood many Uh, trials and difficulties. You've you've resisted many temptations. You are such a great blessing and help to us younger Christians. If you can share with us and teach with us all that you've learned. I think it is so important uh, that we view our time together as not just this formal time, but the time following. The time where we can speak to each other and encourage each other. And older Christians, can I encourage you, like wise Pastor James, to get alongside younger Christians, get to know what's going on. Because you can play such an important role to uh, to warn them and encourage them to keep persevering. So let's think about this first thing. Some vital teaching about temptation. Well, first of all, uh, we should not be deceived about the source of temptation. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. See, it could be in the middle of our tough and disappointing moments that we hear the sort of the tempting voice to pursue really our own selfishness and our sin there are trials of poverty we thought about the trials of poverty and wealth briefly last week well think about the trials of poverty what are some of the challenges that can happen there well when, when we're finding it tough financially there are all sorts of temptations aren't there there are temptations to fiddle our expenses at work to maximize the opportunity There are temptations to uh, maybe hold back to the tax man all our income. There is the temptation perhaps instead of uh, paying for something to steal something, to take it. The occasion of poverty might tempt us to certain sins. And also similarly in the trials of wealth. If you suddenly become wealthy, uh, receiving a million pound bonus, say, for your fine work, uh, there could be all sorts of temptations to sin. Uh, the danger of becoming proud, of becoming conceited, of thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. Or if you're struggling with loneliness, maybe it's loneliness because of singleness, or maybe it's loneliness because you're having a difficult time in your marriage. In that occasion of, of loneliness, then we might be tempted to sexual sin. A few clicks on a mouse. Uh, accepting that dinner invite from that flirtatious person. And there's that voice in the head that says things like, well, go on. Life's been so tough. You deserve to enjoy yourself. It's just harmless. Everybody does this. You deserve to have some fun. Well, James wants to get his readers to be really clear. That though trials and hardships might make us vulnerable to temptation, that does not allow us to blame our sin upon God. No one can say, God is tempting me. Now, I have never met a Christian who says to me, God is tempting me. But, while we don't directly blame God for our temptation to sin, I think we do so indirectly when we blame our sinful actions on the circumstances around us. Uh, And if we were to peel back uh, through all those circumstances in our life and say, well, why was that there? Why was that there? Well, we as Christians who believe that God is sovereign over creation, then ultimately as we peel back reasons for our circumstances, we do end up actually blaming God. If we're saying, well, our circumstances made us do it, we are indirectly, but actually quite definitely, pointing our finger and saying, well, it's all God's fault. Uh, This happened in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? This woman, you gave me. We always blame shift. We always find reasons uh, around us. It's other people's fault. It's uh, our circumstances' fault. It's not my fault we say that I was tempted uh, I've got high libido uh, it's my spouse's fault if only she was nicer to me it, it, it's because of my parents the way they raise me up it's it's because of my hormones it's because of my genes it's because I, I fell in love what could you do I fell in love it, it's because of my low self-esteem And behind all those excuses we're really try to pin the blame on God. It's God's fault. He tempted me. And the reason why that would be a false notion is because of the character of God. God is a holy God. That's what James points out in verse 13. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. God's character and nature is utterly opposed to evil. There is no unrighteousness in God it is inconceivable that he would purpose for us to sin he is morally good and perfect in all his ways so when we sin the Bible is clear that we cannot point the finger at some outside force we can't say well the devil made me do it Uh, we're gonna learn about the devil in chapter 4 about resisting the devil But we can't blame the devil for our sin. We can't blame God. We can't say, God made me do it. Uh, We can't blame our circumstances or people. We sin because that's what we want to do. That's why we sin. We sin because we desire to sin. The problem is not outside of us. It's in us. Now society is constantly wrestling with this. Do you remember the, uh, the, the riots in London last summer? Do you remember all the reasons and excuses given for the riots? Um, everything from, well, poverty, um, blaming the government's the government's fault, uh, it's, or oh, it's education, it's, it's poor parenting, it's the parenting, or poor policing. We are forever wanting to pin blame on everything else. Do you know the reason that people got out? On the streets and set fire to things and smashed windows and took things from shops is because they wanted to do it. They wanted to do it. We do what we want to do. That's what the Bible is clear about. We sin because we desire to do it. Verse 14 each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Now, this is a very sobering verse for us to meditate on. This is true of every person. It is true of every Christian. Each person by his own desire. Now, the NIV is kind of um, added in an extra word, evil. and That's not really there in the text at all. It just talks about desire. The word desire doesn't necessarily have a bad meaning. Luke uses it when Jesus says to his disciples that he earnestly desire to eat Passover with them. The problem of desire is when our God-given desires become the overwhelming, controlling desire in our lives. Someone put it this way, the problem is not wanting bad things, it's wanting things badly. That's the problem. The problem is not wanting bad things, but wanting things badly. Badly. There's nothing wrong, for instance, with wanting a clean and tidy house. But if that becomes an overwhelming, controlling thing in your life, and you know that because you've kept the plastic sheeting on all your sofas, <laughs> it can be the occasion of all sorts of sinful rage and selfishness that can really destroy relationships. When people mess up your clean and tidy house, there's nothing wrong with a desire for food. Nothing wrong with that at all. But when that becomes the overwhelming, controlling desire of your life, it causes all sorts of problems comfort eating, obesity, gluttony. There's nothing wrong with sexual desire. But when it becomes the controlling desire that leads to an enslaving addiction to pornography or to pursuing a sexual relationship outside of marriage, that's the problem. It's when desires become overwhelming and controlling of us. The problem is when we take good things and we make them God things. When we say, this is the most important thing. I'm going to live for this thing. Whether that's a tidy house or whatever. I've made an idol of something. It's the most important desire that I have. I live for it. I worship it. That's the problem. That's sin. And there is within us this powerful, corrupting force that can latch onto seemingly harmless desires and make them an idol uh, that can lead us to. Damaging our lives and sinfully rebelling against God. There's powerful words in there, aren't there? Do you see that in verse 13 uh, 14? Each one is tempted when by his own desire he's dragged away and enticed. Dragged away, lured, enticed. Uh, they could be used of, of a hunter who uses a trap. Or a fisherman with a, with a fishing rod. There's the bait. The hungry beast or fish is magnetically drawn towards it. Before they know it, snap. The trap shuts or the, the hook is swallowed and it digs in. Got. Grabbed. Caught. Here's the second part of James's warning. Not only should we not be deceived about the source of temptation, which actually is our sinful nature, but we should not be deceived about the end of temptation. Verse 15. Then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now here we have the language of seduction, don't we? Our desires become controlling, overpowering, inordinate in our lives. And uh, we become absorbed with them, seduced by them. And then what happens there? Well, the desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Um, Long before the moment where that sinful action is revealed to the world, there's been a long process, hasn't there? That moment of giving birth is the moment where the baby is revealed to the world, but of course there was conception nine months before. The truth is that we, long before we act out our sin, we've had a longer process of uh, desiring something, being enticed by it, being absorbed by it, thinking about it, pursuing it in our thoughts, uh, and that growing in an absorbing way in our lives uh, and, 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 and growing within us until out comes this awful moment of sin if we continue to cherish that desire and allow it to grow in our hearts, it will give birth to sin. We should not be deceived about the final outcome. Sin leads to death. I mentioned John Owen last week and the tragedies he faced during his uh, life in the 17th century, losing all his children and his wife. Now, he's written very deeply on the topic of sin. And he says this, Sin aims always at the utmost. Every time it rises up to tempt or entice, if it has its own way, it'll go out to the utmost sin in that kind. Every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every thought of unbelief would be atheism if allowed to develop. Every rise of lust if it has its way reaches the height of villainy. It is like the grave that is never satisfied. The deceitfulness of sin is seen in that it is modest in its first proposals. But when it prevails, it hardens men's hearts and brings them to ruin. We should be sobered as we consider that reading from 2 Samuel. I think about King David. Who's King David? Remember Psalm 23? He wrote that wonderful psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. What a deep knowledge of God he had. How he worshipped God. How he praised God. How he'd seen God deliver him from many trials and difficulties and bring him to the throne. How much did he owe to God? Everything. little shepherd boy, he turned out to be king. Amazing. And yet one night, when actually he shouldn't have been in the palace at all, he should have been out fighting with his men. He sort of goes for a nighttime stroll and he sees a beautiful woman now there's no sin at that point he could have quickly backed away headed downstairs and that was it but that's not what he did was it he makes an inquiry He starts thinking about this woman Oh, I want—I want to. I'm just interested. Who—who—who who, who is she? I'm just—I mean, I'm just. She's my subject. i am just interested in my subjects. You know. It's a very nice subject. I'm just going to find out about her. It's innocent. You know. Oh, she's someone else's wife. Oh, okay. Desire growing and growing and growing. And what's the pathway? What terrible sin. Growing sin. As he takes this woman. And she goes to the, she conceives. And then the cover-up. Lead him to take a man, Uriah, who seems a very godly man. He refuses to go back and take the comforts of home while all his uh, compadres are suffering. And the king makes him drunk and, and, and eventually leads to his death. I mean, this is the full horror of sin. In the life of a believer. King David's. We should be sober as we as we see the realities and the uh, and the true intent of sin. It always starts so deceptively. Oh, it's not a big deal. This is a small thing. But its its aim is total destruction and death. And though, praise God, David was forgiven for his sin. The mayhem that it caused in his family is what the rest of two Samuel is basically about, isn't it? There were great ongoing costs and impact for uh, the sin that he sowed in his life. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. This is the warning. And it would be very disheartening, wouldn't it, if we were just left there? But James is such a great and careful pastor because there's two things that we need to know if we're going to be complete Christians. First, we need to understand temptation. But secondly, we need to understand, uh, we need to remember God. Verses 17 to, to 19a. See, what, what we're doing as Christians uh, when we sin is we're committing spiritual adultery. We're cheating on God. Uh, James is going to use that very phrase in chapter 4. You adulterers, he calls, calls them. And what do we do to justify our adultery is, well, we, we first of all, um, we've got we've to think bad things about God. If we're going to justify cheating on God, we've got to start telling ourselves lies about God. And in our hearts and minds, um, uh, as this desire rises up within us and sort of absorbs our total attention, we start to, uh, to, to justify our sin and we start to say things like this in our minds. Well, you know, God is not good. God is holding out on me. God is mean. God is unkind, we say to ourselves. He doesn't have my best interests at heart. Do you know what? I I need to do this for myself. He doesn't really care about me. And James knows that's exactly what goes on. And he says, not only do you need to understand temptation, but you need to know God. Look at verse 17. This is the truth we must remember about God. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Our hope and our confidence is not found looking inside. It's looking up to God the Father of the heavenly lights. He's he's reminded to look up at this great God who created the cosmos, who created the, the billions of galaxies and the billions of stars and the sun and put the moon in its place. He says, look up. Look how good this God is. He delights to give good and perfect gifts so instead of listening to the lies of the devil uh, and our sinful desires we need to remember that god is only good all the time he is only good every good gift comes from the father of lights he does not hold back anything good that we need in fact his gifts are perfect gifts have you ever had a gift that was completely useless to you you know you have to, as a kid you have to write letters to your auntie thank you for that useless gift no thank you for that lovely gift you know god never gives a useless gift he gives a perfect gift he knows exactly what we need and he gladly gives us what we need and the wonderful thing about this Gracious Father, is that He is changeless in His commitment to providing every good and perfect gift that we need. Um, you know, the moon waxes and wanes, but that's not true of God. There's no variation in God, there's no dark side to God. See, so this is one of the things that sin whispers in our ears, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you know, there's another side to God. There's no dark side to God. He's good all the time. And that's what James commands them to remember. And he points not only to God's goodness in creation, but also His grace in our spiritual new birth. There are two birthing processes mentioned in these verses. There's that desire, sort of conceiving of evil that leads to sin and death. But here's the other thing that we need to remember. There is a work of grace in each one of our lives if we're Christians. We have the experience of spiritual rebirth. We've been brought into God's family. Do you see that there in verse 18? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he's created. Now this is something to remind ourselves when hardships come, when we're feeling the heat and the draw of temptation. God is good and God's grace is at work in our lives he has given us new birth he made us brand new people on the inside there is a new life at work within us we've been brought into his family you know it, it, one way of, uh, of birth in this passage uh, is leading to adultery but the other birth is reminding us of our adoption and he is Done this work in our lives because he wants us to live fruitful lives in this world that he created. To be kind of a first fruits of all he created. That we glorify him in this world that he made by this new life that he's given us inside of us. We need to remember God, his goodness, his grace. What amazing grace. If we're ever beginning to hear that awful voice of temptation saying, Oh, God, God doesn't care about you. God, uh, God's holding out on you. Uh, there's something much better here that He doesn't want you to have because He's a bad God. And you should just go and grab it. When we hear these stupid voices in our head, these stupid thoughts, we need to remember this God of grace and come back to the absolute... Center of the manifestation of God's grace, which is what? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and I dare you to try and say, God doesn't really love me. God doesn't care for me. God holds back on me. You can't say that, can you? And you've understood that God has given His only Son, His beloved Son, If you understand the perfection of Christ, that He withstood every temptation that uh, we are tempted with, and yet He did not sin. And yet He willingly gave Himself up and swapped places with us sinful, adulterous rebels so that we would be forgiven and He would be punished in our place. What amazing grace! And how can we stand before the cross of Christ and say, well, God doesn't really care for me. He's holding back for me. You just can't do it, my friends. That's why temptation and sin will always work in your heart and you'll start thinking, I'm not going to bother going to Charlotte Chapel on Sunday. I'm not going to go. I don't want to, I don't want to hear that anymore. Sin will always want to absorb our attentions onto this obsessive desire that's become an idol for us and will not allow us to gaze on the glory of Christ. And we need to understand the utter foolishness, the utter devastation, the ultimate destination of temptation. And we need to remember God, His goodness and His amazing grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a command. Take note of this. Remember this. There are a number of books out there in the Christian market that I just think are complete nonsense. And there's... I remember reading one, one author, a guy called John Eldridge, who sold thousands and thousands of books. And really much, he sort of promotes this basic idea, which I think is a very unbiblical idea. And he teaches us as Christians that we really need to follow our hearts. It's basically like Oprah Winfrey with a, a few badly quoted verses. Follow your heart. Now, what do we understand as Christians about our heart? There are very deceptive thoughts in our heart, aren't there? There are very deceitful desires in our heart. Um, There is, praise God, good and godly desires in our heart, but that's not the total picture, is it? And I want to encourage you to uh, listen more to John Owen than John Eldridge. This is what John Owen says, written in the 17th century. Let our hearts admit, I am poor and weak. Satan is too subtle, too cunning, too powerful. He watches constantly for advantages over my soul. The world presses in upon me with all sorts of pressures, pleas and pretenses. My own corruption is violent, tumultuous, enticing, and entangling as it conceives sin it wars within me and against me occasions and op- opportunities for temptation are innumerable no wonder i do not know how deeply involved i have been with sin therefore on god alone will i rely for my keeping i will continually look to him ah Hope in trials and temptations is not to look within our heart for personal goodness and resources, but to follow James' advice and to look back at the cross as the evidence of God's grace and to look up to the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Every good and perfect gift. And we should listen not to the lies of our deceiving hearts and deceiving desires, but we should listen to the objective truth of God's word. Did you see that? How did he give birth to us? What was the mechanism? What did he use? The word of truth. The word of truth. If you're here and you're not a Christian yet, and you are beginning to see how miserable a life of just living for yourself and the foolish idols that you've been living for, and you think, what hope is there for me? The hope is that you need to be born again through the word of truth. Come and read this book. Keep coming back. Study it. Come to see who Jesus is. Come explore this good news of the gospel. This is the word of truth that gives us new birth. God uses it to draw us to himself. This is what you must pursue at all costs. And my Christian friend, if you are feeling the lure of temptation today, come back. To the word of truth rely on his resources today look up to him do not listen to yourself listen to the word of truth my dear brothers and sisters take note of this let's pray